Anybody in the mumble room having Wi-Fi issues? And do you have a Chromecast? Because it turns out that's all it yes. takes. That's Have you heard about this? Um, really? Wait, what? Yeah, so router vendors are going to be pushing out firmware updates. Google's actually known about this for a little while. There's an issue recently with uh, Google's Chromecast. If you have it on your network and you launch the YouTube app on a phone or a device, when the YouTube app wakes up, quote-unquote, this is the documentation language, when it wakes up, it does a broadcast packet to see – actually, anything that supports Chromecast does this. It's not just YouTube, but this is the most common one. It does a broadcast to say, hey, is there any Chromecast devices here? I'm awake, and I would like to be able to broadcast to you. And these packets are normally sent in 20-second intervals, which in network timing is, is a pretty long time. Um, but turns out there's a bit of a bug – and sometimes the devices will broadcast a large amount of packets at very high, high speeds in a very short amount of time. And um, it's around 100,000 packets <laughs> instead, of, instead of a 20-second interval where it sends a packet. It's hundreds of thousands of packets as fast as your little device can cram it over your Wi-Fi network, overwhelming routers. And it's pretty much all of the major ones. Netgear has acknowledged this. Linksys has acknowledged this. Asus has acknowledged this. TP-Link has acknowledged this. And Google themselves has acknowledged this. Although Google says it impacts a small number of users and they're committed to providing a fix in short order. Does it affect uh, OpenWRT and Lead? Is, I, was, I would think it'd be possible, but because it's, it's like an overwhelming DDoS. It's not necessarily like a flaw in the software, I think. Right. <laughs> Does it impact hmm. Google hardware specifically, yeah. like Google Wi-Fi? If you have no, if you have, well, I don't know about Google Wi-Fi, but if you have a Chromecast, and a lot of us do, and then you have an yeah. app on your mobile device that supports Chromecast, this is what you get. <laughs> what about supported devices? Thankfully, I my, both if, of my uh, Chromecasts are powered off the TV, so if the TV's off, the Chromecast's right. off. Same, yeah. But yeah. I'm talking. Wonder if Roku's can affect this. They accept some Chromecast. Well, it's it's on the the Chromecast side. It's it's sending out the packets from the their Chromecast, and it uses UDP. Right. And there's no congestion control on UDP. Exactly. Okay, so my Chromecast is getting unplugged today. This is Linux Unplugged, episode two hundred and thirty-two for January sixteenth, two thousand and eighteen. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's fending off the plague, talking brand new Linux hardware, and answering your questions. My name is Chris. And I'm the Beard. Hey, Beard. Beard's joining me this week, but not Wes, because Wes, yeah, Wes got poisoned by Beard, so that way he could step up and actually be in the intro. So we got that taken care of. Good job, sir. Now, also coming up on this week's episode, we will go through a whole bunch of of community news. This episode is really going to be like all about the community, about stuff they're working on, about upcoming events, and then answering a lot of your questions. And Barton George from Dell will be joining us to talk about the new XPS 13 developer, you know, the Sputnik line of their sweet Infinity edge-to-edge display laptops. Well, they just shipped out a brand new one with the latest 8th generation Intel processors, a bunch of new features, Ubuntu 16.04 installed by default, so Barton will come on, I'll pick his brain about the new machines, and then I'm going to ask him a couple of questions about, because he's in a large corporation, so he's maybe the perfect person to ask, sitting at Dell in a large corporation, shipping Linux desktops. Barton, what's it going to take 
to get Linux on every machine at Dell. What would it take for corporate systems to be able to switch over and get out of that Windows trench? And we talk about that. We talk about big trends that Dell's getting ready for that are coming down the pipe. And we talk about the transition to 1710, GNOME, a little meltdown inspector. It's all coming up later on in the show. So it's, I think it's going to be, um, what are they, like a, not a doorstopper. It's going to be, it's, I need a good name. Mumble Room, what's a good name for what this week's about? And, and hello, Virtual Log. What's, come, come, this is like a blowout episode, right? Come, come it's on. a barn burner. It's a barn burner. That's exactly what I was looking for. Okay, hello, 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 Mumble Room. Time appropriate greeting. Hello. 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 What's hey. up? hello. 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 Uh, guys, um, boy, it's good to hear all your voices. I missed you guys. It's been a long week. But the only thing that really got me through this long week has been the good news coming out of the Plasma Project. So we got um, a couple of different things to cover for the Plasma Desktop. I figured uh, you uh, Plasma Desktop users have been uh, yearning for some coverage. So there's a new LTS in the works. It's the second long-term support release from the Plasma 5 team. And they're working on fixing speed and stability. It's a speed and stability release. Boot time for the desktop has been improved by reviewing code and getting rid of anything they found that blocked execution. They've been triaging and fixing bugs in every aspect of the code base, tidying up artwork, removing corner cases, and ensuring cross-desktop integration. Interesting. Specifically in regards to the performance, because that's what got my attention, uh, they say we have been concentrating on speed and memory improvements with the 5.12 LTS release. When Plasma is running, it now uses less CPU and less memory than previous versions. Uh, the time it takes to start Plasma Desktop has been reduced dramatically, and Plasma support for running as uh, on Wayland is now more complete and more suitable for a wide range of testing. So they're ready to bake it into the LTS release, and they have got uh, output resolution scaling working, screen rotation, enabling and disabling outputs through K-Screen, automatic screen rotation based on orientation sensors, automatic touch calibration, X-Wayland is no longer required to even run the Plasma Desktop. Big one right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and Wayland Windows can now run full screen. That's a big one for the beard. Kwin's been integrated with their night color system, which is awesome. That's so cool and kind of removes the need for people to get to even run Redshift anymore on the Plasma desktop. Uh, and the uh, compositor is now automatically kind of smart depending on the desktop and the, and the input and responsiveness. And if you're using Wayland, there's been a lot of work there. So this really is being positioned as the Plasma desktop to use. It's version 5.12. It's in development right now. Um, and uh, they seem pretty pretty excited about it. I'll defer to the mumble room for a moment if anybody wants to talk about Plasma. I do have a second part to this story, though. So go on once. Go on. Hey, you yeah. know, it sounds great. But um, how are, I hope for their sake that they lose the reputation of being bloated. Mm. You know, yeah. just with this release. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean, I, I think that's sort of been... Well, boy, it's really what's your definition of bloated? Because um, resources-wise, I feel like it hasn't been that bloated for several releases now. In fact, I, I was shocked uh, when I started running Plasma for a while how little resources it used based on just what everybody said. So there's that's one version of bloat. But another version of bloat is the package mess. And I know this is a soft spot and they don't like people talking about it. But just two days ago, I was going through and updating my last remaining Arch system, and 
Of course, there's a conflict between some standard accessibility feature and a Plasma desktop accessibility feature. And I have to choose between one of them, and either one of them breaks a series of dependencies. And just as a thought experiment, I went down the path of what would happen if I tried to uninstall the Plasma desktop accessibility version. Just what, and it unwinds 35 packages, which eventually ends up at uninstalling the entire Plasma desktop itself because I want to remove a singular component. I just wanted to uninstall the accessibility meta package and just remove the accessibility stuff altogether because it was hanging up my update, and then I would reinstall it later if I wanted it. But to get there, I eventually got to the point where I'd be uninstalling the entire... It's so intertangled with everything that that is another kind of bloat. And that's a reputation I don't know if they're going to get away from for a while. They might be able to conquer the reputation one, but people will still be throwing that bloat term around, I think, because of that package mess. Unless somebody could snap all that up. Yeah, that's something they were trying to get rid of when they went on to Plasma 5 and KDE Frameworks 5. They were trying to get rid of all that dependency issue, and now it's... I'm, I'm hearing... Well, there's been progress. It's, it just, it's just, you know, when you're starting, when the, when the needle's at 11, and you're trying to, and now it's been dialed back to 7. So, right, there's still, there's, I, in my, but my opinion, there's more dialing back to go, I think. Uh, so JJ, you had a question about the undestructible desktop. Are you talking about, like, the Bulletproof project we had a while ago? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was sort of trying to point that also in terms of... Uh, your recent crashes with GNOME and comparing that to switching over to a new desktop possible? Yeah, you know, the the unbreakable, like, bulletproof desktop project sort of is what got me going down the path of Solus for a while. Uh, but then I ended up having um, some issues with Budgie, and so I moved off. And that's sort of when the project died. Uh, however, recently, as like a thought experiment, I've thought about how it might be fun to just poke at um, Fedora Atomic Workstation. So uh, I'm going to try to have uh, someone from the, from that group on in a few weeks to talk more about that as a possibility. Uh, that kind of transactional update, whatever it might be, if it's if it maybe comes via snaps and flat packs, or if it, or if it's something that's for the entire you know the entire way you deploy all software on the system, more like Atomic, there may be a solution somewhere in there. I just don't feel like we're there yet, but I do genuinely genuinely feel like we're on the right track to that. Um, in part because of snaps and flat packs and Docker and all these other things that we love to hate too. Yeah, and personally, I'm sort of on this similar boat with uh, me switching back and forth between a bunch of distributions, but I've been been, been stable on uh, Ubuntu Mate for a little while. Yeah, yeah, it is a nice landing spot, isn't it, Mr. Po- Mr. Wimpy? Uh, Wimpy, I, I was just thinking of you because you and I have gone back and forth about uh, the transition to Wayland and some of our different thoughts about what kind of uh, what kind of transition that may actually end up being. And so, Wimpy, I wanted to know what you thought about this post um, on um, the KWin development blog about uh, KWin is now considering X11 as indefinitely feature frozen that their their support for x11 is feature frozen they'll still do, they'll still do maintenance so security fixes and whatnot but uh, specifically um, they won't be making specific improvements to x11 kwin they write uh, kwin won't be adjusted to any new requirements in the x server mesa or the input stack or proprietary drivers if something breaks it's the fault of those components which broke it and they're going to be focusing their effort their development efforts on Wayland after uh, Plasma Desktop 5.12 ships. What do you think about this, Wimpy, about going just all in on Wayland and, and saying that X11's done? It's, it's, it's done. 
Well, KDE are in the fortunate position where they've invested a huge amount of effort over the years to keep pace with Wayland as it's evolved. And, you know, the only two desktops right now, um, or rather the only two desktops that we've had for a long time, GNOME and KDE, um, have arrived with, you know, Wayland support. So it makes sense for them to invest in the future. Um, and that's their project decision. I mean, if they feel it's it's ready for prime time, that's pretty, then... that's pretty, it's pretty political, I'll admit. I got to say, because to me, I feel like uh, a lot of users are going to have a super rocky transition to Twi- to Wayland. Uh, I, I wonder well, if it's not going to be 10 times harder than the community expects it to be. I, I don't know about this, because what I haven't done is I haven't run a Wayland composited desktop or window manager other than gnome 3 mm. so mm. some of the rough edges that i've seen on gnome that's 3 that's a good point I, I don't know how that translates to things like um sway or leery or kde yeah point well made you could be absolutely correct there and martin points out in the blog post that they've sort of architected uh their their, their essentially their 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 wayland system their the the kwin they've architected it in such a way that um they don't really need to to implement a lot of stuff at that level like it, it's if you uh, if you read through the blog post he says that uh there will be new features that will come along but most functionality in kwin is independent of the windowing system any improvements to the areas that benefit wayland annex 11 so if they make some new feature um, and he gives examples like tool tips on decoration buttons, improved blur effects, or a rework of side desktop effects. They're making those improvements to KWIN. They're not necessarily X11 or Wayland specific. Both X11 and Wayland users will get that stuff because of the way they've architected KWIN. And so I, with that in mind, I think it does make a lot of sense. I think that's actually a pretty good move. And it does kind of make me want to try out Plasma 5. 12 probably eventually 513 because that's really when all this stuff lands is plasma 513 does kind of really kind of make me want to try it because you make a fair point wimpy i think the bulk of my experience with a few exceptions has been gnome 3 on wayland and i may have i may have made some assumptions based on that experience that aren't fair so i'm i think when when time gets right i got to spend some time on kwin and wayland and just see what that see what how that compares that's a good point all right <clears throat> It's a really, really good news this week. We talked about it pretty, pretty in depth on Linux Action News, but I'd be, I'd be uh, derelict in my duties if I didn't tell you guys about this here on the Unplugged program. The city of Barcelona is switching to Linux and open source software in a pretty smart way, and they're doing it in a pretty smooth timeline. So, first of all, they're gonna, they're gonna, the first thing they're really doing before they've even switched out a single desktop, is they're going to invest 70% of their software budget into open-source software development. Then they're creating a transition period that lasts until the spring of 2019, and they're going to replace Microsoft Office with LibreOffice. They're going to replace Internet Explorer with Firefox. They're going to do that type of transition, and then once everybody's up and running on these applications and they've developed the new back-end applications they need and probably like web versions of them, that's an assumption on my part. They're going to move people over to Ubuntu. They're going to just ship the Ubuntu desktop instead of trying to build their own de- desktop, which is really where Munich went off in the weeds. And um, they're already running a thousand Ubuntu-based desktops right now as a as a pilot project. This is um, 
this is how you do this. This is they're doing essentially all the things right here. Like I, <clears throat> I was, I was uh, joking with Joe on Linux Action News, but uh, I kind of want to know what you think, Beard. Is uh, is this the silver lining of Munich blowing up in the Linux community's face, and the fact that it was a public thing that Microsoft fans like Paul Throt today is making a, a a Munich joke on Twitter today? Uh, but. Uh, but but the, but maybe the silver lining is a company or I'm sorry cities like Barcelona can watch that and go oh shit don't do that yeah learn from their mistakes I think that's exactly uh, exactly right I mean you just do a, a staged migration that way if you have problems you can roll back that one specific step instead of the whole thing yeah I hope I hope this works JJ you have you have thought about government and funding of open source software. Well, sort of the usage of uh, software and government, like a lot of these systems are Windows-based, and a lot of them are using older versions of Windows. And hopefully this uh, Barcelona example, it seems to be doing all the right stuff, And like you mentioned before. And maybe it'll bring a spur to some certain universities that are reluctant to support Linux or certain companies, certain uh, support companies. Currently, I'm in a university where um, where their IT department is sort of looked down looks down upon Linux uh-huh. at this moment. Yeah, I've been there. Boy, that seems like an attitude of ten years ago, though. That's sort of unfortunate to hear that in 2018. Well, I mean, thankfully, some of the professors are are somewhat like one of the professors that just transferred over to my university. Um, he's sort of um, been a pro Linux advocate, sort of uh, been. Uh, even though he doesn't say like you, he uses Linux for his exam, for his code examples and all that. But he's not like out. He's like an advocate, but he's not like outright wears it on his sleeve. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand that. Well, uh, so <laughs> Popey's Popey's drawn my attention to it. So uh, hashtag hashtag blowing Popey. Thank you so much, Popey. Yeah, breaking news right here on the Unplugged program. CNN breaking news. Uh, crypto is is ruined. Everything is ruined. This is why we can't have nice things. Bitcoin has gone bust. Um, Popey, you're our Bitcoin reporter on the scene. Uh, what are your thoughts, sir? What's your analysis of the current Bitcoin crypto market? All crypto coins are down. Your analysis, sir? Uh, those red colors, they're not good, are they? I don't think so. Yeah. It seems like those are bad, right? And they're way over on the far side. You see how far over they are? That seems bad too, right? Yeah, they got minus signs and everything. <laughs> that doesn't look good to me. Oh. You um you got a prediction if this thing's gonna go uh go down to five thousand? What do you think? I know you're a big follower. Uh yeah, I, I think everyone should switch to Monero. There you go. Yeah, okay. Okay. I um I had a pres- uh, prediction on the Ubuntu podcast. Um, for the end of year project predictions oh. that said that in December 2018, the price of Bitcoin would be, give or take a couple of thousand dollars, the same as mm-hmm. it was in December 2017, and cited a massive crash, but a recovery that we've not seen in Bitcoin before. Yep. As soon as I heard that prediction, I went, I said to myself, shit, that's way better than my prediction. He's absolutely right. And I knew it as soon as, in fact, after I thought to myself, I I wouldn't be surprised if in the next month we see this thing get down to 10,000. And now here we are at 11,000. I hate making predictions about, I I totally blame Joe for that. (laughs) Just kidding, Joe. I don't. (laughs) It was the, it was the meme-y thing to make predictions about at the end of the year. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. 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 And now it's, it's going down like crazy. You know, I still maintain that open source currency for uh, fun internet money or uh, for uh, clandestine uh, worldwide transactions still has a value. It's still, I think, 
I don't think I don't know if it's Bitcoin. See, the problem I think what happened was is people started realizing that, uh, at least in my opinion, that these transaction costs were getting to the point where essentially you had unusable Bitcoin. If you had like a you know some Bitcoin satoshis hanging around, they were unusable. You couldn't. You would have to spend more than they were worth to get them to even move across the network at, the, at any reliable speed uh, for any kind of like online transaction. Uh, and I think once that really sunk in with people, uh, this is what happened. I, maybe if they would have solved the uh, the blockchain, the, the block size issue uh, months and months and months and months ago when it was a hot topic at the beginning of 2017, we might not be here right now. But they punted on a solution. Several forks emerged as a result. And uh, this is this is this is, I think, that playing out right now because the network became unsustainable. Just too slow, too expensive. Um it is probably going to come back up eventually, though. So I'm sure people will call it a fire sale. There was an article, I don't know if you saw it, Wimpy, going around that um, it, was, it was pretty popular, so you may have, going around that uh, just several, just a couple of key Bitcoin players were moving the market as much as 40% some days, down the, back in the Mt. Gox days. Um, mm, just a couple of imagine, people. Yeah. I can imagine in the Mt. Gox days, that was fairly easy. Yeah. That was... Those were those were dark days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to be getting. It's interesting though that story is getting a lot of attention today. <laughs> so it's back from the Mount Gox day, but today is the day that it's getting passed around a lot online. Um, and who knows? By the time this episode actually is available for download, it could be down another five thousand dollars. I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. I know some people are dying. Jeez, um, uh, I I've, I've always I've always kind of figured this could happen. All right. Well, uh, I want to give I want to give an overview of a, like a bunch of really cool community events that are coming up in in just the next couple of months, um, including uh, oh, you know what I don't have a link for is that uh, there floss talk. You guys, this so you guys in the mumble room, if you have uh, any like upcoming events in the community that you want to spread the word about, uh, I'll give you a uh, a few moments to think about it. So uh, get, prepare your links, uh, get them ready for Discord, and then we can mention them here on the show if you have any. And I'll take a moment and I'll thank Ting for sponsoring the show while you guys prepare yourselves. Linux.ting.com is where you go to get $25 off a device or $25 in service credits. This is pretty sweet because they have a CDMA and GSM network, so you can probably bring a phone and get $25 in service credits. And the way Ting works is you only pay for what you use. Your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. No contracts. You just pay for what you use. It's $6 for the line and your usage. Average Ting bill is going to be around $23 per month per phone. That's amazing. Think about that. I went from before even all the taxes were done. I mean, the final bill was higher than this, but like a right around a base bill of $120 a month for my three phones. And I think that some, for some, I don't know how it goes from 120 to like 165 after all the crazy taxes and weird fees. It, it just, it seems unsustainable, but yet they make billions in revenue. And if, if somebody could get in like a, like a, a, the Starship Enterprise and go around the sun and turn back time and then relaunch wireless networks, they'd all have to do it this way. It's pay for what you use. You just pay for however much you talk, text, and data you use. They give you really good tools to control all of it. I've been a Ting customer now for three years and called them twice. One was because I was doing something crazy with a MiFi, and the other was because I didn't know you could actually activate a phone on their website at first. <laughs> it's like, what company lets you do that? Um, but they they do, and it's great. And it would, which means now, like, I turn MiFi's on and off like crazy. It's just it's perfect for me because I take advantage of both network CDMA and GSM. They always have a very active blog. 
They're talking about right now um, a referral giveaway. You can check that out at their blog. Just start by going to linux.ting.com. That'll take some money off a device or give you service credit. And then you can get started with pay for what you use mobile wireless. Linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Okay, guys. So um, does anybody have a community event that they want to pass along? I'll give a plug for one that's coming up in just a couple of days to warm us up. DevConf.cz is a 10th annual free Red Hat-sponsored community conference for developers, admins, and DevOps engineers, and many more. Uh, And it's in the Czech Republic. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes if you're going to be there. It's the city of Brno, B-R-N-O, so I probably butchering that. Um, and it's at the Faculty of Information Technology. I have all that information in the show notes. January 26th, I believe, is, yes, the 26th through the 28th. Online registration is already open if you go to devconf.cz. Give them a little mention because that is coming up right around the corner. The other one that's just not too far, at least in my world, is Linux Fest Northwest 2018, April 28th through the 29th. You know Jupiter Broadcasting is going to be there. We're going to probably do something different than we've ever done before. I don't quite have it all worked out, but we're thinking about potentially attempting to record uh, one of each show that we can there. So it'll be a so instead of um, instead of just sitting there on the live stream and just sort of like DJing and just like just sort of like shooting the S, we'll actually be doing shows live there, like all, maybe all of the shows if we can, as many as we can, live at Linux Fest, um, maybe pulling different appropriate guests for different types of shows. Alan will be there with us, and uh, we'll, well, I, it's always a great time. So April 28th through the 29th, uh, Linux Fest or LFNW.org. They have a call for, um, you know, so if you want to talk, they still have an open presentation. You can submit it now for like a couple of more days. So get that in if you want to do that. LFNW.org. And then um, Floss Talk Live, which I was uh, going to get more from Joe and I forgot because um, I'm a bad person. But, um, or no, was it? Or was Good it, job. I'm here now then. Oh, well, then there. Look at Cheese. Cheese, you just say his name and he shows up. That's. So was it Floss Talk we were going to. Now I'm actually thinking it wasn't Floss Talk. I'm thinking it was Fosdem, actually, now that, I'm, now that you're here. So, Joe, what the hell's going on? Tell people about it. So, Foss Talk Live, not Floss Talk Live. Ah, um, that's what I, 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 I knew I was mixing something up. Yeah, yeah. So, it's uh, a live event that's happening in June. Okay. Um, and it's well we've done it for the last couple of years in the summer it's in a small pub in king's cross in london and uh, it's traditionally been linux voice ubuntu podcast uh linux Luddites, or late night linux and uh then a mashup show featuring stuart langridge and dave from uh geek news radio and it's just been an excuse to get together drink and watch some live podcasts nice when is it do you guys have a do you have like the like a I know the site's is the site updated yet? I don't think so, right? No, I haven't updated the site. I've updated the Twitter, but okay. not the website. All right. So it will it will be at fostalk.com eventually for details and then go check it out on Twitter right now. I'll put a link to the Twitter in the uh show nizzles. There you go. So maybe we'll be our uh, hotel room already. Yeah? Oh GC oh, now. Yeah. Now I'm getting FOMO. God dang it, guys. Come on my own show and give me FOMO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's the uh, the 9th of June, by the way. So everyone put that in your calendar if you're around London, the 9th of June this year. Very good. The 9th of June, 2018, for uh, a drunken mashup of a bunch of different Linux podcasters. And uh, go say hi to Mr. Popey. He smells great. And so it's always a pleasure to bump into him. Joe, thanks for uh, popping on real quick and uh, setting me straight because I was going to blow that. 
Yeah, no worries. I am out and about. That's why I sound a bit different. Yeah. No, I still appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, so then, um, of course, there's the uh, the next event, the Granddaddy event that uh, is always gets a lot of attention. And this is the last one I'm going to mention this week before we get to Barton. Um, and that is Scale 16X, March 8th through the 11th at the Pasadena Convention Center in California, which uh, has um, a new vibe this year. They're kind of really trying to push a new vibe. They wanted to make sure I knew about it. They wanted to make sure that uh, Late Night Linux knew about it. So they sent us information uh, about like a, a Libre photo workshop that's coming up and even a uh, like a photography walk around Pasadena, which actually would be kind of legit. If you're going to Pasadena, why not go out for a photography walk? That actually sounds kind of worth it because you could always use a walk in this kind of a beautiful area. Uh, and so they're they're focusing in for at least one of the tracks on like Libre-free Libre tools to work in, in with graphics. Um, and they're going to bring a collection of artists, projects, developers, and uh, just, you know, users that just want to make the best possible looking art on a free desktop. So Libre Graphics at Scale is going to present talks designed for general audience of users and developers. They're going to vary in subject matter from tutorials and workflows to project announcements and packaging. Uh, specifically, that'll be Friday uh, the, the 9th of March from 10 a.m. to 1700. The 16th annual Southern California Linux Expo. Anybody in the mumble room planning to go? Really? Just me? <laughs> That's so sad. I know Noah's thinking Have about fun. going. Well, you know, uh, I don't know exactly. I haven't fully figured it out, but I think I'm going. I have trouble getting vacation time, so yeah. yeah my boss makes me go. So <laughs> we'll be uh, at a company company thing in Budapest, so it'll be difficult for us to go. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, I'll be lonely there. But, you know, I'll just hang out with all my other Linux friends. That's fine. You guys... Guys, just make it a good party. That's cool. We, we ought to just sync up our schedules, you know, ahead of time. We just get a Google Calendar, so that way I can make sure I'm always wherever you are, Popey. That's that's really what I want to go for. So you can find out more at sociallinuxexpo.org. That is for scale 16. And uh, I'm going to be there in some capacity, there with Noah doing our thing, trying to pull him constantly away from all the ham guys. That's what Noah does. Noah goes there. He gets a feel for the layout, and then he just goes and hangs out with the ham guys all the time because they've got the cool toys. They really do. And they're proud of it, so it's um, it's actually it's actually kind of a blast. Let's uh, let's get Barton on the XPS thirteen is um, it's it's kind of this strange beast because if you just go out on the web and Google search XPS thirteen, you get well, you get something that runs Windows ten. It's probably not what you're looking for if you're listening to this show, but you've heard that there is there is specifically a version of it that runs Ubuntu. We've talked about it many times. I've done reviews in the past. Went down there to Dell uh, last year, got kind of my eyes on all of the products, including things outside the XPS line. And so there's this sort of Skunk Works project called the Sputnik Project that we've covered on and off that's been brewing in the background. And it's been getting more and more prominence at Dell.com too. Like now today, if you go to Dell.com slash developers or Dell.com slash Sputnik, you find it right away. There was a period of time where it was kind of like buried on the Dell website it was like, wasn't clear. Is this something they're really into? But we are now seventh release, seven releases, the seventh generation. We're seven releases into this product line. Over five years now into this product line. And they've been iterating on it over and over and over again. And so last week, middle of last week, I think, they announced the new XPS 13 with eighth generation Intel processors and all of those goodies. So I wanted to bring Barton on to talk about it because I'm, I honestly, I expected Dell to blow it by now. 
I just thought, you know, nothing, nothing good lasts forever. And uh, they've been doing it for like five years. I just, I just kind of thought it's, it's gonna, it's gonna slip. It's gonna slip. Um, but uh, they've proven me wrong. So I, I, when I saw the new release, I immediately fired off an email to Barton. And said, "Come on the show." So let's, before we go to Barton, let's, uh, let's talk, stop right here and thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. DigitalOcean.com. You go over there, you create your account, and then use our promo code DO Unplugged. It's one word, and you get a ten dollar credit. And they've just recently adjusted their pricing to make it even more competitive. And they got a new website too that is. Gorgeous! DigitalOcean.com. Create the account. Use the promo code Unplugged, and then go dig around. They got the best, the best dashboard. Every other, every other vendor in this area is attempting to rip them off, and they can't even compete because DigitalOcean doesn't stand still. When they're not making their features better, when they're not adding things like monitoring or spaces, or when they're not monitoring, when they're not doing those things, they're revving their website and they're revving their API or they're publishing amazing documentation. They just do not stand still. It's, it's, such, a great, it's such a great service that anytime I want to try out a new open source project these days, anything that's server-based at all, I don't even bother with a VM. I just go spin up a droplet in seconds. I've been talking about it this last couple weeks. It just blows me away for Linux Action News. Just on, over the weekend, I'm like, you know, I'm going to try out NextCloud 13 for the weekend. Let's see how that goes. I'm just going to try out NextCloud 13 with the new NextCloud talk. I had that up and running in five minutes between a combination of 50. I, could, you, I, de, I think I would deploy in, I say, usually like 40 seconds. They say 55 seconds. I mean, it just spins up so damn fast it almost doesn't matter. You get a system up and running. You pick the data center. They have data centers all over the world. I chose Ubuntu 16.04. I SSH into that sucker. I then immediately did a sudo snap install NextCloud dash dash edge, I think it was, to get NextCloud 13. So that was uh, within... I don't know, two minutes of creating the, the, the create machine button. I was installing NextCloud 13. And then by minute three, I was pulling up my NextCloud configure the, you know, the final configuration wizard in my web browser on my desktop off of a DigitalOcean droplet. And then I could do calls. And with DigitalOcean's incredible network speed, 40 gigabits coming to those hypervisors. So I'm sitting there doing the, the – it just – it blew me away that it just – Back in the day, I used to, I used to take it, – it took me two to three, sometimes a month to get a new server. And now I can do it in five minutes. I have the whole damn thing set up. It's really incredible. They have clustered deployments. They have different kind of optimizations for different compute types. Pre-build applications or you build the whole thing from the ground up. It's, it's really awesome. It's a really good service. DigitalOcean.com. Try it out and use our promo code D-O-Unplugged. So we've got this new fancy XPS 13. There's only one thing to do. So joining me to talk about the new XPS 13 is the uh, the horse's mouth, essentially. It's Mr. Barton George. Barton, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. Yes, horse's mouth. You don't yeah, mind I if I call you a horse's mouth, do you? <laughs> I, lo- I love that one. I'm going to put that on my business card. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not a comment on your physical appearance. It's just a comment on your authority on the topic. <laughs> oh, authoritarianism. Yeah, yes, yeah. I like that. Uh-huh. Well, there is one source I go to when there's a new developer edition, and it's, uh, it's your blog. And uh, I don't know how you guys did it. I mean, you're supposed to be screwing this up by now, but it looks like the uh, the new what is this the seventh gen uh, XPS thirteen is yeah exactly yeah seventh gen knocking it out of the park which I, is impressed which is a bit confusing because we're one behind the um, 
the Intel yes. generations. Right? I wasn't so going to say featuring it. Featuring but... the eighth generation. Yes. Yeah. And so people, I got that on the on Twitter or something. People yeah. say, wait, I, shouldn't that be the eighth generation? No. So. Now, you know what? I have a feeling anyway, with all of the Meltdown Inspector news, you may actually catch up eventually. That, or they'll catch you or something. And, and pass them, <laughs> man. I think that's, you know. I think that's very likely. This will just set our sights low. Well, so the XPS 13, uh, it's like the, it's the laptop in the Linux world that really needs no introduction anymore. Uh, which is a pretty remarkable achievement if you think about it. And uh, it's been around for uh, how many years now? Is this the fifth or seventh year? Well, the, no, the fifth anniversary was uh, end of November last year. So okay. that, and by fifth, I mean anniversary. I mean the the first one came out then. We we had a, about six or seven months before that that we uh, we we Did really flew to market with that as as far as going from PowerPoint to uh, product. So, um, but yeah, we count we do the counting from. Uh, the first product ship. Well, so, so five years. Still, still, what seems like the the best screen on any laptop in the market. I, I'm surprised that it's still just like. I mean, nobody really seems to be touching it, and it's not me that's even saying that anymore. You probably saw this, but uh, Linus Torvalds posted on Google Plus that uh, when he tried out all the different laptops in this category, the XPS 13. Not only was it the one he went with, the developer edition, but he liked it so much that he also bought a second one for his daughter. <laughs> so yeah, that's no, pretty that's, high praise. Well, I think he actually. I think it went. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. You're right. I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing didn't go unnoticed by us. Believe I, you me. I would imagine. So it really is the laptop that needs no introduction. But uh, I'll be. I'll be honest. I. You know, you're supposed to screw it up eventually, but it just seems to be getting better. It's got uh, an i7 um, in a, a seventy. Was it seventy five hundred U i7 up all the way up to that sixteen gigs of RAM, five hundred twelve gig SSD, four K screen. Under two thousand oh, dollars, one terabyte option as well. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that probably puts it over the two thousand dollar mark. <laughs> but that's that's that's. Uh, but it starts around what nine hundred? So that's the the entry yeah, price. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I should also say we're keeping um, the the previous one. So if you if you give them numbers, so one's the ninety three seventy. Right. The other one is ninety three sixty, and we don't use those numbers usually for marketing. But I use that. Um, you can search on Google so on those terms, and the right ones will come up. Yes. Also, if you go to uh, Dell.com and and check on, um, uh, I think you can look on Developer Edition or XPS 13. It'll show both of those. Ah, okay. And why why are you guys? So in other keep- words, we're keeping. Why? As opposed to in the past where we, one has replaced the other. And that's then you're asking, why is that? And that's because they're they're at two different price points. They're not that far apart, but there are folks who are going to say, hey, quad core, I don't really need that. I'd rather save the money and get something that uh, is more appropriate for what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. And the I mean, I have a fifth generation uh, XPS 13 developer oh, well, edition. Oh, there you go. And it's still a great machine. So I could imagine the six generations would would make a lot of people pretty happy. Um, you also yep. have a non four uh, K version uh, with a ten eighty screen. How well do those do? Do the four K sell a lot better? Or are you selling more of the ten eighties? Do you know? Can you say? Well, you know, I don't have the actual split, but we get people who want you know who don't want to drive a monitor that that um, you know that kind of resolution. And, right. You know, the other thing is just tangentially, whatever we offer. Config-wise, there's all these folks who say, dang, that's, you know, if I would have bought it, if it just had this config. Um, and so that's one thing we're, we're compiling is what are the configs that people are saying that they that they would want? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what combination? And then we'll go with, um, uh, see if we can, we can add it. Because we get a, 
a time or two during the life cycle where we look at, well, does it make sense to drop or add a, um, uh, what you call it, a config? And that's the point where we go and we look at the, yeah. how, how well is this selling versus that one? Yeah. And so if you get one that's only selling 5%, you drop that and you think, okay, what else might be something that people would uh, would would enjoy? So along those lines, I've noticed something that's actually the absence of something that you guys are doing and it has to be intentional. So I want to pick your brain about it because it's, a, it's, okay. a, well, no, it's, it's something that I think other OEMs need to take a lesson from. And it's, uh, yep. when I, when I, in, when I get a Dell XPS 13 and I boot it up, it's not Dell Ubuntu. It's not, um, like a custom version of the Mate desktop that's been themed for Dell and has Chrome pre-installed and Eclipse IDE ready to develop and push applications to the cloud. It's just Ubuntu. It's, it's about as vanilla with, you know, with yep. a few changes to here and there that, uh, are probably just for like driver support or whatnot. I mean, it's, it's obvious at this point that this is a very intentional decision. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think in the beginning, although we people did say when we're collecting an, uh, initial feedback, we did get a lot of people before we launched it, a lot of people saying, hey, I just want vanilla Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. But we thought, hey, we can really add some value here by doing a couple things. We're going to pick the, you know, the utilities and tools that people want most, uh, and we'll we'll load those, and we'll also go and we're going to create this thing called the Cloud Launcher, which oh, uh, really? allows you to ta- take LXC and... Um, create what you take what you create on the laptop as a micro cloud and then push that app to the cloud and we're going to do this thing called the platform launcher which is going to allow you to take software stacks that are pre-created and hmm. load them up yeah, uh, with, yeah with dependencies and everything get them good to go i'm seeing so, other manufacturers do that currently this is something they're embarking on yeah, and so we we went down that path. What we found though was the utilities and tools people really wanted to 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 pick their own. That wasn't much value add, so we stopped that. The um, profile tool turned out to be a heck of a lot harder than we thought. So we and so that on top of the fact that we didn't have people clamoring for it, um, we put that aside. And then the case of the cloud launcher serendipitously this company called docker came along right. and did what we were trying to do mm-hmm. right is, is get a way to write an application that you have on your um, laptop and and then get it to the cloud so we started out with these grand ideas of value add that the customers would love and in the end we're we're at that vanilla point that uh, that you just mentioned interesting that the um developer community seems to be um Seems to be of the mindset of if we want it, we'll just load it ourselves, which is yep. is less work for you. That's like that's like the best. Yeah. That's the best of right. That's <laughs> oh yeah, no, exactly. That's interesting. Um, you know, you know, I think just you know, in general, just sort of zooming back, targeting this at the developer community has been great in that they offer lots of feedback. They also can, uh, certain issues they can, or tweaks they can work amongst themselves to do. Mm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, as long as you speak, uh, speak honestly and are transparent, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of feedback and help that, that they're willing to give as well. So, well, you know, what um, issue, which it, is, yeah. one issue that comes to mind that it's the number one question I get when I review uh, an XPS product 
It's um, mm-hmm. it's about the coil wine, which uh, is not unique to the developer edition of the XPS 13. It's something that can happen because of just the – I would assume the compact electronics, but I, maybe you can talk about that more. But um, it wasn't until I started reviewing it for Linux users that I started hearing about it all the time. Yep. Uh, so how is that in the new release? And, and, and we're – were the Linux customer base or the developer customer base, as you put it, were they um, particularly um, demanding in that kind of issue in a way that the Windows users weren't? Like, where does that all stand today? Um, well, I, so can't go into too much detail because it involves third parties, et cetera. Um, and, you know, anything we say, oh, it's perfect now, and then somebody has course, an issue with it, yeah. that's, that's not going to look good. And somebody, no matter how perfect anything is, <laughs> something's going to come up. All right, so we got a big but couch I here, but I, that, I follow you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, I think it was a small subset of folks. That being said, if you were one of those lucky subsets, that was not – that wasn't a good thing. And I think, too, there's also – a tolerance level for people. So there's certain people that would, um, who, whose parameters were more um, acute than what we set. Sure. Uh, saving maybe maybe you or I or somebody else would hear that same thing and say, oh, well, that just sort of sounds like what things normally sound like. Uh, and then there's other ones that, that were outside the normal boundary and you'd say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, um, yes, we have taken steps to to ameliorate that, um, and you know, we'll we'll uh, that's basically what I'll what I'll say at this point. Yeah, and I, I understand. You, you know, you know I had specific, but that's sort of, I yeah. have I have a fifth gen, and uh, I reviewed the sixth gen, and uh, never had the problem myself. Uh, so, but I have worked extensively with small compact machines in audio production. And I know that it is an issue that can crop up. I've, for example, uh, had three or four, uh, three Intel NUCs actually hooked up to my mixer at one point, and two of them exhibited uh, coil wines, and one of them didn't, same exact model. Uh, But it does sound like it's gotten worked on. I've been following some of the threads, and I've been seeing people talking about it. It does seem like things have gotten better from what I can observe. I wonder, though... uh, down the road, is it? Does it? Is it? Am I? Am I being over cautious when I worry that maybe Linux users are not persnickety, but they're too demanding? Like it seems like maybe we're high maintenance, or is it a good thing? You know, I think in general, and getting back to what I said a little while ago, as long as you treat developers fairly, um, they're okay with with a certain amount of. of slack here and there Hmm. um and i also find that oftentimes people have you know linux users will joke themselves and say we're willing to uh i'm not saying this in courses in regards to anything we do no but (laughs) they feel that you know things have been so tough for so long when things do get better even if they're not 100 percent perfect they're they're very happy if things tend to be trending in the right direction and there seems to be steady progress then yeah i think you're absolutely correct yeah, and so I would say it's the opposite. Not that you're not going to get somebody who is who is persnickety, but I think in general the developer crowd seems to be much more um, understanding and mm-hmm. willing to work with you uh, as long as you're you're working in good faith, you're sure. being honest sure. about what's going on, sure. et cetera. Well, let's see. Then let's shift gears. And, and I think, and I'm just going to say one thing yeah, too. Sometimes it's tricky. 
you know, with regards to honesty in that, or I shouldn't say honesty, but um, you always are honest, but as far as how much you reveal in that, it involves other partners as well and mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so you can't, you know, even if you wanted to come out and say, this is, this is what's going on, it would involve other folks as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I think everybody gets issues, that. It's a, yeah, I think it's pretty so. understandable. Now, so let's shift gears and, and see if we can make things uncomfortable with a different partner, uh, Canonical. Oh, please obviously. do. Yeah. Let's yeah. see. If, yeah. Um, now, you and I were sitting in a room together the moment it was announced. In fact, I was the person that delivered the news to you that uh, Canonical was dropping Unity 7 and switching to the GNOME desktop. Yeah. How yeah. has switching that... Switching back, back, back. Right, right. How has that been brewing inside internally? Because... Um, 1710's been out. I know that you're shipping 1604 currently, still. Probably won't be shipping Correct. 1710 yeah. ever, because why would you? Uh, when Especially with 1804 right around. Is 1804 <laughs> looking like it's going to ship on Dell products? Is GNOME Desktop going to ship on Dell products? What's your answer for that? Uh, what we, I'll say that what we usually do is when we launch a new system, it is lo- it, uh, it comes with the LTS that is current. is current at the time. Right, so we don't, like you said, we won't do a seventeen ten. We won't do an uh, eighteen ten or a nine. Uh, what's after eighteen nineteen nineteen oh four or something like that? We only do. No, we do best efforts, um, and we try to support people with issues they have in the interim releases. But the one that we're going to guarantee is the the LTS that yeah. ships with it. Um, I mean, just, you know, you don't even have to, re- not, not even talking about Dell, but just like uh, your personal opinion, work, you know, shipping a Linux desktop now for a while, working on this. Uh, how's Bart and George feeling about the transition to GNOME? Well, so without knowing all the intricacies, because sure, I'm sure yeah. there's sorts, all sorts of things. Oh, you didn't think about this and realize how it affects that. Um, but it does but seem I like a big general, switch for some, you know, it's a, it really does affect a product you're shipping. It, it does. And I think one thing is, as a company, you need to know when to when to hold them and when to fold them. Because um, it, 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 one thing happens, and I've been in other companies that just keep pouring money into things long after it became obvious that it was it was no it wasn't great benefit to the customer at that time, and it really wouldn't be going forward. And yet, there is this desire sometimes to keep working at something uh, long after it's, it's yeah. been obvious that it's not the right move. So I think it's, and it's always tough. I mean, I say it as if that's a, you know, an easy thing to do, but I, I do have a lot of respect for companies that early on say, you know what, this is going to happen. Um, we're going to stop it. Um, and so that's the, that, that's sort of the bigger picture. And so that it, within that, put that lens on it i think it 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 made sense to realize they had an awesome vision they'd done quite a bit of work um and it just it was they weren't they weren't going to get there to the end right um there is so there seems to me barton to be a similarity between what canonical has done with their desktop they went to hacker news and other places and they said what do you want out of ubuntu and people said just ship stock gnome just give me my basic applications Sort of reminds yeah. me of what people said to Dell when they said, just ship stock Ubuntu, just give me vanilla Ubuntu. I just want to load my own applications. It's you see a similarity yeah. there? Yeah, and no, I think it's 
you know, once again, it's does it add value or not? Are you just putting bells and whistles that nobody cares about? And it, you know, comes across as bloatware. Um, so, yeah, now I would see that, that there are certain things that are going to be value add, but oftentimes in the Linux world, it's stuff that you're going to pull down yourself, right? As opposed to if you're buying a, a Windows PC, having certain uh, applications bundled with it really is increases the value of the system. Now, um, before I let you go, I have to ask you something that uh, you're yes, not, not going to have an answer to because you're not the processor guy. But I kind of have a tangential 42. question. Right. Okay. Answered. No, um, Thank you. If I, do you know, is this assumption correct? If I am a Dell XPS 13 user um, running, uh, running the Ubuntu that was installed on there when I got the machine, am I likely <laughs> eventually going to be able to just open up GNOME software and get microcode updates for Meltdown? I, mean, I know you don't, might not know the intricacies of how it's going to get patched, but the firmware delivery mechanism through GNOME software is something that Dell has gotten uniquely good at. And I wonder mm -hmm. if um, – what I'm trying to get at is how much awareness does it have at the Barton George level, this functionality? Like how much of a topic of a conversation is this particular feature? Because it seems hyper important right now. The firmware so updating it's, through it's, GNOME software, yeah. that, that working with FWUpd – sorry to be vague, but that's a specific question – how how much is that at your yeah, level? So the, no, hardly any at all, right? So we we have folks that are, you know, knee deep in, in everything Ubuntu and working on all this. And yes, they would be, you know, we have uh, we have folks like that on the team. But my my role uh, as chief plate spinner doesn't doesn't go that far. So does it come um, up though the so the feature as a topic of conversation or is it essentially is it just an assumed baked in thing now? So I can't answer that specifically, and not meaning that um, I'm not allowed to, but I just I just don't know, and I know because there is a there's a separate team, as you can imagine, technical meetings internally about you know how we yeah. what are we doing with Ubuntu as far right. as from a technical point of view because it also uh, involves your server products and uh, not just the XPS 13 so I totally get it I, right. the reason I wanted to ask is because the one thing the audience are going to say after this interview is how come you didn't ask him about Meltdown or Spectre um, and so I had to try to get as close to a, something I thought you'd be able to answer in that regard unless you want yeah, to talk no, I, about I, I, uh, put it in bite-sized yeah. chunks but the answer is yeah I don't know I mean if so. you want if you want to get into x86 architecture nuances with me I mean we could do it but it doesn't seem like that probably either one of our power areas <laughs> i was hoping we'd get into the spark chip yeah really. i think um <laughs> yeah that's or the uh, the old risk mip chips right uh, mips chips right right absolutely <laughs> uh, a tear is is coming into my eye right now as i hmm. as i think back so what trends is barton george watching um in the linux world that he thinks will be something that dell needs to respond to in the nearish term future oh gosh Putting me on the spot. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, you know, you put know, your strategy it, hat on. Well, I think for us, it's much more, you go back to that, that what is the customer looking for? And we just take what's, what's out there and make sure it runs without a hitch on our system. So we're, where Dell is looking at is, okay, how do we make from a hardware point of view, how do we make systems that that are continuously better for for our customers and then given that how do we work take what's out there in, a, in linux uh, and make it work on the laptops so i think we've 
we are we are much closer focused in uh, also because as I said that that's a lot of the stuff that the customers in particular will will do and will decide on their own. Do you have any sense of what Linux could do better to be more successful in large corporations as an actual viable desktop OS? Is it just is it an application issue? Take take Dell for example. You if even if you you know in Dell you have to even if you have a Linux machine you still at some point you functionally need a Windows machine to fully participate on the network. Is that an entrenched irretractable position that Windows has has etched out? Or at, you know sitting in your uh, at your desk at Dell, could you foresee a day when even corporations as large as Dell could be shipping Linux on all of their desktops. Well, yeah, I think you know I'll answer it that the some of the key things that are missing is you got internal apps, right? Whether they're yeah. you know name tools or your uh, expense reports, etc., that need to be um, rewritten. Done. If they're they're those need to be, a, yeah, right, exactly. And so there's there's all that, um, as well as as you say, this is we. We, as many large companies, run on Windows, and we need to have all those applications. And so, you know, for right now, they're great developer boxes within ourselves, as you say, within a large corporation, uh, but they aren't general-purpose machines. So that, you know, I think that's going to be tough, that you're going to need to sort of, at least to begin with, figure out what use cases you can pick, and you don't want to overestimate the the power of linux to supplant everything else so or don't I, or overshoot me maybe because here's what i here's yeah, what i was kind of angling yeah. to is is uh is is perhaps the strategy or whatever you want to call it or perhaps should the goal be maybe the goalpost should now be uh a niche of the market that is that is large and growing and sophisticated and should the discussion be more about retooling our desktops like GNOME to super serve a more sophisticated developer type audience? And maybe, maybe, maybe it's worth stop chasing that total new computer user Linux that that fantasy Linux user because it does seem like if we double down, uh, if we if if the if the Linux community could pull a Sputnik project and sort of just say what would we build just for developers, we might have a lot of success there. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's that's what it's, it's all about is is sticking uh, sticking to your knitting, um, as they say. So it's not the it's iterative, right? You start mm, small, you yes. you uh, you're agile, you see what works and what doesn't works, as opposed to you know by the year twenty what are we in now twenty twenty two we're going to be all one hundred percent Linux on the desktop in 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 our enterprise, um, and it's it's looking to expand beyond that, but. As you say, the the obvious targets to begin with are how can we do a uh, a developer machine that keeps meeting more of the developer needs, developers' needs, um, right. or scientists, engineering uh, right. scientists. Might we make a um, machine learning AI developer box that would have all those goodies? You know, whatever those might be. Right. Um, yeah, something- or do you find out? You know, once again, that it's hey, whatever I want, I'll pull down myself, so I don't need anything. Tailored to I, what I feel like what I'm learning. What, I, what we're kind of getting is these users are generally capable enough of built of customizing their own system for their particular edge case if you give them the right base. Like so, take machine learning and AI. That's that's a different machine than an XPS 13, but it's a type of machine that Dell certainly does sell. And uh, if you could tune that right, 
give them the, the, the platform or the tool, and then they take care of the software side of it. And so maybe you get really good at doing that for a couple of markets. And then once you really nail that, you move on to another market. And then you nail that one. Yeah, no, exactly. And you, and you look at what well, what is value add in that area. You know, just like we said when we originally went out with this and asked people what they wanted, um, they did say vanilla. And like I said, then we said, well, no, no, but we'll even give you more than vanilla. <laughs> we'll give you uh, all sorts of swirls and chocolate chunks in there. Um, but yeah, to, to find out, say once again, machine learning or or people in the music industry or whatever it might be, what would you see as something that would be that would make your life easier or better if we could we could provide it. Now, my last question is um, crystalline silica material. Wow! Oh, good gracious! Now you're, now you're like this now isn't you're totally like this uh, isn't this isn't no. This is the quote. You would know because all yeah. all retweets are you fully rep, you fully support them. You retweeted a quote <laughs> right here, not exactly. painted white. The new Dell, Dell XPS. Don't get this wrong, everybody. It is not white. It is made of crystalline silica material that literally weaves the white color in like fabric in nine composite layers. <laughs> yeah, no, I tell you, you know, you must be watching my tweets very carefully. Seven, I only I'm retweeted re- that, what, an hour? I'm re- well, I'm on there right now. I'm on there right now. Yeah. Okay, there you go. At Barton808. I go there every day, at Barton808, and all of our audience should too. Because to, I, I, if I were a betting man, dear audience, I would bet that there may be an update along the precision line soon, and uh, that's one of my favorite lines. So keep an eye out at, at Barton808. I can never, I can neither confirm no. nor deny, of wink, wink. Of course not. Um, of course not. Yes. Yeah, and of course, you saw when I retweeted that, I also put in a shameless plug for the developer edition. Yes, of course. Good man. Good man. Yeah, we'll have links exactly. to... So it wasn't so much about what they yeah, said. Right, it was yes. just, hey. A chance to plug your stuff. <laughs> as, yeah, you should, exactly. as you should. As you should. The XPS yes. 13 is... Uh, so like Barton said, available now in uh, the 6th gen and 7th gen model. The 7th gen is hot. It's the 93070. Uh, not hot literally, but yep. hot like in the, you know... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With lots of different configs. I will link to bartongeorge.io in the show notes where you guys can read about it as well as the other product pages. Barton, is there anything else we want to mention before we roll out of here? No, I think that the one thing that I would say is I was completely blown away by the amount of interest generated by this release. Um, oh, yeah. Because, as you know, it's number seven, and I thought it would be incrementally you know, old or, news. or same sort of level of interest. And I got more hits on my blog that first day than I have in the 10 years that I've been doing that blog. So it was just, it, it was not what I expected. As I said, I expected people to be interested because yeah. we have, well, it doesn't surprise me, it, but you know, it doesn't, I'm glad to hear that. It doesn't surprise me a single bit, Barton, because you know, the reason I drove my RV down to your office was because I could tell there was momentum building around this product line, uh, which, which snapped my yeah, attention around. And uh, so I, I am I am not surprised to see it's continuing to build because I could I could smell it coming, Barton. I could like a like exactly. an Austin barbecue. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Your your bunions were uh, tweeting or something like that. Something. You know it's going to rain. I don't know. Yeah. What this <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Right now, I'm just thinking about Austin barbecue. Now that I said that, but Barton, thank you very oh, much yeah. for coming on. 
Um, and no, um, pleasure as always. I really appreciate the opportunity, Chris. Maybe one of these, uh, maybe one of these short weeks here, uh, I can get my hands on one of these and uh, tell the folks what I think. But in the meantime, they can go read up about it. And uh, I'll retweet any reviews for the developer edition I see coming along, too, so people can keep an eye out for that. All cool. right, Barton. And then, as we were talking about before, easiest way to get there is either, uh, well, easiest to remember is dell.com slash developers or dell.com slash Sputnik. They'll take you to the same place, and that's where it has the line, and you can click through for the new one um, or the other ones. You know, I never even got to ask Barton about his dogs. I was going to ask him about his dogs because I somehow I go down to Dell. I hang out with Barton for a week, and I didn't even know he was a dog owner. And now that's – these days, that's all I care about is a new dog owner. But I digress. Let's move on. We still have some great emails to get to. I want to recap something that we've covered um, back in 2016 on this show, and things have changed. I've been doing a head-to-head comparison recently, so I want to cover that. We've also got some quote-unquote breaking news from the Ubuntu Mate project all to come. So let's take a moment and thank Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to sign up for a free seven-day trial and support the show, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. What, what, what? You don't know what Linux Academy is? Friends, let me tell you this. Well, actually, how about a highly paid voice actor will tell you? Whether you're an experienced sysadmin or new to the world of Linux, Azure, and AWS, OpenStack, and DevOps, a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. Linux Academy is not just a video library. Our scenario-based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands-on. We also have full-time human instructors who answer questions and help you earn that certification or promotion at work. We add new training every week so you'll always be up to date on the latest tech. Sysadmins of every experience level use Linux Academy to stay on the bleeding edge of the Linux ecosystem. You should too. One thing the voiceover guy doesn't mention that's my favorite feature of Linux Academy is they have full-time human beings that are available to help you if you get stuck, like instructors that really know the content material. And they have a course scheduler system specifically for us busy folk. Just the more you know, guys. The more you know. So go check it out, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Learn how to build a secure system so that way when the hackers are dropping malware on your system, you're on top of it. While you're laughing, the hackers are dropping malware into your system. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So, Wimpy, I heard a little birdie tell me that there could be something interesting over at the Mate Project this week. Ubuntu Mate, I should say. Not the Mate Project, but Ubuntu Mate. Um, actually, actually, the opposite. Oh, the really? Mate I, Project. Oh, I got it right yeah. the first time. Oh, good for yeah, me. you did. Hey, yeah, look at that did. accident, and then, I, and then I messed it up by correcting myself. That's a life I, lesson. I can also throw some news in about Ubuntu Mate okay. if you like as yeah, well. That, well, then that would be just right all along, so that would be great. So, right. t- so, so let's start. We're, let's start with Mate. Okay, so um, Mate 1.18 was released uh, about one year ago, and that's been a long-lived um, version. We've been supporting that, and we've had three point releases, so it's um, very robust and stable now. Um, but we have just closed the uh, feature branches on the Mate desktop, and we'll be releasing Mate 1.20 
in the next week or so. So uh-huh. expect that to hit your distributions soon. That is really um, exciting. So, um, well, okay, so it's 1.20, right? 1.20. Yeah, I wanted this one to be a 2.0, but um, I've gone with consensus of the team. We're, we're going with 1.20. I thought the next one would have been one nineteen though. So you did skip one rev. Uh, one one nineteen was the development snapshots. Uh, I see. Okay. <laughs> I see. Wow. So, so what's just, the headlining features? If there are, are there, are there headlining features? Well, um, there's some boring things that are important in that there's Mm. thousands of bug fixes um and a lot of those we've been cherry picking back into the 1.18 stuff for the important things um which is why you know people have seen that um uh, ubuntu mate 1710 and 1804 daily are really very robust at the moment um but there's been a lot of work in uh, the window manager for example so that's now got um hardware acceleration oh, um, I and uh, yeah and is um uh what's the word um screen tear free mm. uh, and now supports um you know quadrant and upper and lower panel tiling ah. uh within the standard window manager and a whole heap of key bindings that as well huge that actually sounds pretty big yeah that's quite a quite a bit of work um and this really came about because we were looking at where we needed to go with things uh as a team we don't see that right now is the time for us to invest in any serious Wayland development. And there were things that we could do to improve our desktop on top of X11. So we've taken steps to do that. And this is work that won't arrive in time, but we've also started the work to um, uh, really finesse the high DPI support. So high DPI support is much improved um, it's still got the experimental tag in that it is not a seamless, it just auto magically enables. But if you um, twiddle the right knobs, you actually get a fairly decent high DPI uh, experience with Mate now. And a blog is forthcoming. Uh, I've actually got it drafted, had it drafted for weeks. I need to get on and post that, how to turn that stuff on. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I mean, just that's a... I could see why you wanted to do a two O, especially with the hardware accelerator. Is it Marco? Is that the? Uh... Yeah, Marco is the uh, window manager. Yeah. All right, that's pretty great. Is there anything else in that arena, or do you uh, want to slip in a little secret about uh, Ubuntu Mate? Well, well, in order uh, exploiting the features that we've used there um, and some of the changes we've made in Mate itself, there's one sad thing about Mate one dot twenty. Um, we, as a rule, we don't like to remove features, but we've actually had to remove a feature. So, um, if you've used the desktop, one of the uh, panel applets is a stock ticker and uh, we've had to drop that because yahoo have um ended their api that we were hooked up to Mm. in order to get that data like many other services around the internet we're all using this yahoo api that's gone away it's not coming back and there is no drop-in replacement so unfortunately we've had to drop that applet because it's defunct I'm sure you many replace it with a crypto coin <laughs> monitor instead. <laughs> Absolutely, but they already exist. We don't need to carry that in the core project. Yeah, I'm sure many serious stock traders were uh, were using that. Yeah, huh. yeah. Okay. So, uh, building on top of the features that exist in Mate, um, we I'm ju- in fact as we've been talking, I've been working on the global menu. So the global menu implementation in Ubuntu Mate 18.04 will be such that that is permanently available 
not necessarily enabled, but permanently available um, in all um, of the various layouts. And what that means specifically is that the HUD will now work in any of the layouts in Ubuntu uh-huh. Mate rather than just the few that had the global menu enabled. So that's a an improvement I'm hopefully going to land this evening after we've finished chatting. Um, and then the other thing we're looking at doing in Ubuntu Mate is um, we're working on our next generation of the Ubuntu Mate Welcome and the Software Boutique. Mm. And at DebConf, uh, De- uh, uh, the Debian conference last year, um, the Debian Mate team um, were asked to more closely align with Ubuntu Mate in terms of um, default settings and setup and things like Welcome and uh, the Software Boutique. So we're going to be delivering Ubuntu Mate Welcome and the Software Boutique as snaps so that Debian can take advantage of that. And a little bit longer term, we'll be adding some support so it can be white labeled. So when it's running on Debian, it can present a different look and feel and content. That is fantastic. And uh, it's fascinating to me that Snap applications can be contained in a Snap, but still have the ability to manipulate the package management on the host system. So it's like it's well, these these snaps would very specifically be classic. So these would be uh, snaps that are effectively like a deb installed on your host system. They're effectively uncontained because they need to do exactly as you've just described. They need to add and remove software, and you know, welcome does other things. You know, to configure peripherals and what have you. Mm. So yeah, very much unconfined applications but by delivering them as snaps the, the, the welcome and boutique are our usp it's what broadly defines ubuntu mate's identity um we haven't been moving very quickly recently but that's the development's ramping up now and what i want to be able to do is continually deliver improvements to um the ubuntu mate users through welcome and the boutique without having to use ppas that people don't know about and um all sorts of other you know complicated systems by having a snap we can just keep delivering new and improved versions rapidly that sounds great that sounds really great i am obviously a big fan of uh, sort of eliminating some of those ppas as much as possible as and probably more and more as time goes on um when does uh, so so I'm clear. When does that kind of that's the is that the 1804 release of Ubuntu Mate? That's where some of that will land. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. How um, how big of a risk is it to, to switch over to, to that's a pretty big fundamental switch for the LTS. I guess I guess you have time to to iterate on it if needed. But that seems like a pretty well, big switch for we, the LTS. Uh, Ubuntu Mate shipped a snap in 1710. Oh, that's so we right. have we have some experience in what's involved in doing that. And um, our friends in the Ubuntu desktop team and the foundations team have been improving the um, hooks that exist in the build infrastructure so that it's easier to ship snaps on the image. So hmm. other th- at the moment, they are simply installed on the image. Uh, and you only get them if you install an ISO that had that snap on it. Whereas the changes they're making are if you installed, say, a beta and 
in the final release, an additional snap was added. It's seeded like other packages, so you get that package added to your system as part of the um, the upgrade. As I recall, it was a pulse audio mixer, right? A command line pulse audio mixer? Yeah, um, yeah it's pulse mixer. Has that gotten much testing? Or And, has, and, and I know one of the other things I was going to be curious is, has, has it been updated? It has been updated, yes. Oh. Um, in fact, we did it a couple of few weeks ago, yeah. So, yes, it's been tested by thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> Great. So that um, – and so – and now it's been tested to have a Snap desktop application shipped on the, on the distro that gets updated after the distro's release with active users. Yeah. That's that's a pretty good milestone. Um, yeah. So, uh, JJ, you had a question about the beta. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, is there any way for me to test out any of the new features of uh, the new uh, version of Mate, possibly? I'm sort of interested since I am a user of Ubuntu Mate. So you can test any of the daily images for any of the flavors. Um, The URL is cdimage.ubuntu.com. And in there, you'll find directories for each of the flavors. And inside there, you'll find the release name. Uh, So... um, it's bionic at the moment and in there you'll find a directory daily live and whatever architectures the flavors support you'll find iso images for in there and you can download those uninstall them on you know spare laptops or vms or what have you to test them and then um there are also scheduled um alpha and beta releases so when those come around there's a more um organized test schedule for a week around those where each of the flavor teams are looking for feedback and looking for the bugs that get reported in order to fix and improve a so it's like team. all or nothing what do you mean sorry so it's like all or nothing with the image like you can't really upgrade the actual individual mate environment possibly or Oh, you're asking um, like a current install and go to the uh, go right. to a new version. Yes, mm. yes, you can. You could run through the same process um, that to do a distribution upgrade, um, and you could upgrade from seventeen ten to eighteen oh four. To be honest with you, it, it's we we none of the flavors did an alpha one that was scheduled to happen January the fourth for obvious reasons that didn't happen. Um, the next alpha will be alpha two, which will be the beginning of February. I think you'd be best to wait until the alphas are out of the way because there's a lot of lot of things moving at the moment. If you need your machine to be reliable, um, just avoid 1804 for the moment. Now you tell me I started the upgrade before we were starting. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're fine. You've uh, got... I've got a hotline got, to you, haven't yeah, I? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a lot of great stuff, Wimpy. Thank you for the update. That's... Uh, that's pretty. Well, can I want to pick your brain? Actually, well, I've got you. I had an email come into the show um, uh, from Robert, and he says, uh, in regards to our Linspire discussion last week, uh, he says he loaded up Linspire and then loaded up uh, Zubuntu and uh, looked at GNOME software in both of them, the latest Zubuntu, and he saw a different highlighted selection of applications in Linspire than he did in the machine he was looking at at the same time in Zubuntu. And so he wondered, does that mean is Linspire injecting like their own suggestions into that list or is it more of like a random rotation with the way GNOME software displays like those featured ones that you guys are curating? Yeah, yeah there's um, there's a list of, say, 16 and like six are, are picked from that to be displayed. Ah, so and, and does and GNOME they, software and just do like a random selection? Yeah, 
Yeah, and it and it rotates, I think, every twenty four hours, so it's not particularly rapid in the way that it represents them. Ah, it's confusing. <laughs> That's that is actually I kind of yeah okay. Uh, and so. So any Ubuntu flavor or derivative that is shipping GNOME software is likely just using that same list because it's coming from the upstream GNOME software that they're repackaging. So which Linspire would be doing? Uh, And so if they were injecting their own list, would they have to be modifying GNOME software? Would it be a fork? Or is there just some sources file that they could go? If if they were modifying that, they would have to have forked it and Ah, made their own version. So that's hard-coded in. Interesting. Uh, well, the the source of the data yeah. is yeah. is in one of the plugins. Yeah. Interesting. I'm learning. I'm they, learning. Can, they can certainly sh- choose to ship their own plugin, which points to their own data sources, and they can promote their own applications that that they prefer for their target users. That's for sure. Or remove the plugins that ship by default on Ubuntu. That's another option. Mm. So they can certainly affect. I see. the list. Um, that's for sure. But it's, but it's not likely because it takes, it takes in the list you have to maintain, right? And is that an XML file right. up somewhere or RSS feed? What is that? It's a REST API. Uh-huh. I'm learning over the last week that GNOME software is um, deceptively complicated. It looks very simple on the front end, but some of this stuff is more complicated than I thought it was. I, am, I envision this stuff as sources lists and a simple text file that somebody could just throw an RSS feed in. I mean, no. No, of course not. Of course... In this day and age, you got to support flat packs and snaps and firmware updates and and all kinds of things and software channels and plugins. It's all it's all above my pay grade. Apparently, I'm just glad it works when it does. So I wanted to take a moment on the show and talk about MB and Plex again. Oh God, I know I've talked about it too much, but I got to be honest, we haven't uh, we actually haven't covered it uh, since 2016 on the show, and things have really changed. In fact, not always for the better either. We'll get to that. Um, Maybe I should start with that so I'm not ending on a super pissed off note. But uh, <laughs> Chris is a little upset about something. Uh, so let's see. When was the last time we covered this here topic here? Yeah, let's see. It was Linux Unplugged. Um, I think it was like 156. So if you dig around in that range, you will get a more comprehensive coverage of what we're about to talk about, including things like Tiny Media Manager and um, integrating more with with uh, Cody and whatnot. But just really briefly off the top, I've been head-to-head comparing MB and Plex, which are two different streaming options that allow you to collect a massive media on a file server or on a desktop. I actually have been running these for testing, one just on a workstation and one on a server, um, a couple different servers actually. Anyways, it is a server-side software that has a client-side piece, and the client-side can run on a Roku, an Android TV, an Apple TV, a web browser, a mobile device, and it allows you to throw a bunch of media up on a server. It scans all of it, figures out the metadata, downloads the information from the internet and artwork and descriptions, and organizes all the seasons for you of your TV shows and your movies. It's quite handy, and it makes you feel like you're living in the future. It's great. And there's two main competitors in this field these days. There's MB and Plex. And Cody does fit in here. Like I said, check our past episode for more. Uh, but just really briefly, if you're running Cody today and you're wondering why the hell would you want MB or Plex, uh, just a, a quick versus like a Cody. Uh, Plex and MB are not nearly as fast as Cody. Um, if you're pointing Cody at some local files on a disk, Cody is going to whoop its butt in load times and fast forward every single time. And these both require fairly reliable networking, a reliable LAN or Wi-Fi, and um, a pretty solid internet connection if you're doing streaming. So those are their main detractions from Kodi. But they're also better than Kodi at certain things. Like 
uh, on my testing, they are better at media detection, uh, getting the right metadata information about esoteric shows that are named something kind of off, uh, identifying a series that maybe isn't quite right. It's much better at that. And um, obviously, as I started with, it's very easy to use for streaming for your friends and family. In fact, Plex has a feature called Plex Sharing, which allows you to share with friends and family. You just add them as a buddy. And uh, so like say my buddy Chase from Unfilter, he and I are friends on Plex and we share each other's libraries. He happens to have episodes of Voyager that I don't have. So if I'm in a mood to go watch Kath- Catherine Janeway make out with some Irish guy in Fairhaven on the holodeck, I will just switch over to his Plex server and I will stream Voyager from his server for a bit. And MB has something similar to this. And so what I wanted to know for purposes of this show, which one might be better for the audience and which one's more open source, as if this is some sort of measuring stick, but which one's more open source? And so I looked at both the Plex project and I looked at the MB project. And this full credit goes to a discussion that really got kicked off in our Telegram group where people were asking questions about this and getting clarifications, trying to figure out what parts of Plex are open source, what parts are closed source. I'll say this. For Plex, I was pretty surprised. I was pretty surprised. Um, it's amazing, actually. They have a whole page that goes over all their licensing, but uh, they have um, everything except for the back-end server part up on their GitHub page. And it's all kinds of crazy. You realize what a project this must be when you just go through their GitHub page and look at all of the freaking projects that they're contributing to or have forked for Plex. Um, and one of the ones that's on here that I was really happy to see, and I didn't know this before I really did the digging, even though I use this, guess I'm not that observant, the Plex for Cody add-on is developed by the Plex project. Plex folks are actually creating that add-on for Cody. So if you prefer to use Cody for playback but want it to connect to your Plex database, Cody's actually writing that plugin. Or I mean the Plex people are actually writing that plugin. So it's, it's about as official as it gets. But how did it compare to MB, which essentially has a similar feature set to Plex, a couple of differences in how they're implemented for sure. Plex is simpler, maybe slightly more user-friendly, but MB is more flexible, it's completely open source, and it feels more like a self-contained application that's not off in the weeds connected to like online news streaming, and it just feels like something that just is simple. I, I actually prefer it for my LAN streaming, and I use Plex for my internet streaming. Everything, everything regarding MB is open source. The front end, the back end, I'm, I believe... I believe perhaps the Android apps might not be, but the server, the web client, the, the, the some of the secret sauce it uses to stream all of that is open source. And both of these projects have a revenue model. Plex sells the Plex Pass and MB sells MB, MB Premium. In MB's case, it's a little more of a, hey, thanks for being awesome. Here's five bucks. You get a couple other things like some nice um, file syncing features with MB. If you become a, a premium member, Plex Pass, Plex Pass has been getting more and more appealing. Uh, you can buy a monthly or a one-time, and you get you get nicer features. You get you get to, you can be in the beta channel. You can use their Plex Cloud streaming service. It's it's nice. It's 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 kind of worth it. I I bought a uh, they had a sale two years ago or something, and I bought a lifetime subscription. Just done, done. And these are obviously vital avenues for these two different projects, whichever one you might like or not like, to stay afloat. But one of them is being attacked by the very open source community it serves. 
MB is ge- being eaten from within the own, its own open source community. And I feel like this is a warning sign that is going to stop other projects from ever doing a fully open source project. It's going to lock in this model, potentially, of a closed source proprietary server component and only open sourcing bits and pieces here. And if nothing else, least of which, the least of which which is going to happen is the Plex group will be able to look at this incident and point at this incident and say, this is why we will never 100% open source everything. We will never do it. We never have to. This is why. This is now the ultimate justification. And you got to look at this and you got to wonder if maybe this isn't a fundamental flaw of open source. So one user of MB got really pissed off, kind of for legitimate reasons, but where he goes with it fundamentally is going to undermine MB's revenue source. And I don't, want, I, don't, I don't recommend anybody install this because these projects need to be funded or else they're going to go away. And somebody created an MB Unlocked project which just gives you all of the premium features for free. Because why not? It's just open source, right? So at some point, the MB developers added an egg screen before playback that reminded you that you could get um, MB Premium. I've never seen that because pretty quickly, like the, my first couple of days into MB testing a long time ago, I bought MB Premium because I thought this is a good project. It offers good competition to Plex. I like seeing that. I want to keep them going. So I paid for it. I've never seen this NAG screen. And I admit, if I saw a NAG screen, I wouldn't like that. And the community did ask them to stop, and they basically said no. And this guy, this is a quote, says, this is bullshit. For the GPL2, it's a GPL2 licensed product. This is bullshit that they're doing this. And his justification is, because it's a GPL2 project, how dare they? And so I decided that I would just go remove the NAG screen. But in the process of removing the NAG screen, I discovered that unlocking all of the premium features was just the simplest way. So here you go. And there's a AUR. Of course, you can just get a Docker image of an entire MB server that's been pre-activated for premium, ready to go, just a Docker install away, which is actually a pretty common way for people to try out these projects. So that actually really sucks because that gets same billing as the actual MB project in Docker Hub. And if more people start downloading this, it'll actually show up higher in the ranks. And what would prevent any other, what prevents anybody doing this to any other project that's completely open source that has some sort of revenue system where you can unlock additional features? It feels like this fundamentally validates the fear of a lot of developers who've been looking at coming over to Linux and quite, can't quite figure out how they get the licensing right. Well, we just validated their fears with this. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, just to me, this is just so, so upsetting to see this because if we make it impossible for people to make money at open source, all we're going to have left is commercial stuff and electron apps and, and um, you know, proprietary backends. And uh, this problem is never going to get any better. It's pretty disappointing. So don't don't install it. Don't use it. Or if you do, you know, also send them a few bucks. I mean, I, I just, I really, it's one patch. You know, this guy just applies one patch and uh, it unlocks all of the features. And maybe the MB project could like obfuscate their code. I don't know. Mumble remove. What, what do you think? Is this, um, is this something this is, that is addressable? This is not the first time this has happened. Other projects have suffered with this in the past. Mm, I mean, mm, I remember this I happening in the sub subsonic community right um for much the same reasons 
uh, and there was um, there was another one as well recently. Um, it may have been MB. I think Mark talked about this on the Ubuntu podcast. The the whole nag screen thing. Yeah, your subsonic's a great example of that. That's a great example. Hmm. Yeah. It, uh, whew, it feels bad. It feels really bad. It feels like it feels like it just takes one pissed off open source user to that knows how to fix this thing, and then they you've just undermined an entire business that has multiple employees, many employees. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So um, it sort of reminds me a little bit about the email clients as well, having this sort of similar um, sort of uh, conflict, I guess, um, with regards to um, supporting um, e- certain email protocols such as Exchange and all that. If that makes any sense? Yeah, I do follow what you mean there. Um, you know, where the, the sort of like premium features and whatnot, and additional add-ons that they have, sometimes have to pay licenses for, and whatnot. You know, just so just to wrap up. So head to head here, uh, my my takeaway is if streaming to smart devices and streaming between friends or streaming to family members that maybe kind of just have like a typical network setup, they're not really doing port forwarding. Um, Plex is the way if, – if, if, you, if you need those things, Plex is the way to go. If you don't need those things, I would really give a hearty endorsement these days for MB. It's got a couple of things I'm not a huge fan of over remote connections. I've even had problems where I've punched a hole through my firewall. We got port forwarding going to the right box and yet for some reason my remote MB system still can't connect. Whereas with Plex, it will do a relay if it has to to make that work. But if I'm using the two different products on my LAN – I find MB to be faster on the same exact hardware, doing it head-to-head, same hardware, same server. I find MB to be faster. I prefer the way it displays some information. Uh, Plex has been abstracting away your, your individual episodes more and more and trying to bo- boost things into new arrivals and trending and all these different things that make it feel like YouTube that I just hate, whereas MB feels more like, here's your, here's your stuff, here's your season, just go. Um, and then the, 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 the creme de la creme mode for me, the, the, the perfect setup here has been now, and this is since 2016, so it's really kind of bared out, is if I can, Android TV, running Kodi with the MB or Plex plugin, depending on which particular media pool I'm pulling from, connected to wired storage. So in my case, it's a, it's a QNAP that has hardware-accelerated decoding. I've reviewed the QNAP in the past. You can install codecs from its app store. You get hardware accelerated decoding. I can be streaming multiple to multiple boxes, no problem. My NAS is still fully responsive. There's no big, huge, loud server anywhere. It's an Android TV and a QNAP, and it's glorious. And both MB and Plex can run on it just fine, and so it's really great to do head-to-head comparison on. Um, and what I walk away with, I, I at the end of the day, I'm I'm going to go with the GPL2 product if everything's if, if everything else is coming up equal, and I'm watching on the LAN. Uh, I, I'm going with MB, and so I, I have this setup now where when I'm at when I'm when I'm just watching something off my hard drive, I'm watching something here at the studio. We do the same thing here at the studio land. It's watched over MB, and then when we watch something remotely, we watch over Plex. And I know that sounds crazy, but they just point at the same files, anyways. You know, it's not like I have two sets of all my movies or TV shows, so it works out pretty well. I uh, I really have. I've come to love this setup in a way that I've never quite achieved with my media setups in the past. And I, I spent money on all kinds of things. I even, I even took a weird dark turn down the Windows Media Center lane where they had these Media Center front-end boxes from like Linksys and whatnot that were, were trying to get to that hardware appliance style. And it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. It was horrible. And also Windows. And, and this, this has finally been it. Um, anyways, 
I have links to all of the MB stuff, including the open source projects, the Kodi plugins, and that goodness in the show notes. Before we get off the topic of MB or Plex, um, Beer, are you setting up a new Plex server? What's your plans there? What are you doing? Because uh, uh, I need hardware first. Why not just run it on? See, that's the thing is, why not just run it on your workstation if you have it on all the time? It's not like you're watching TV while you're gaming. I, first of all, I don't have a TV. Well, okay, but you know what I mean. It's not like, you're, it's not like your machine's going to be decoding video files while you're playing a video game and streaming because you're going to be playing video games and streaming. So I, I've just, I recently tried it out on Workstation for different testing of versions, and I realized it's great. Having it right there on my desktop is great because I can hook up a USB disk and I can add that and I can download something immediately and have it scan my downloads. Folder. So for like, a, for like a full week, I'm like, I'm just running it off my Workstation. And well, you say that, but while I'm streaming, the girlfriend could be watching videos. All right, Popey. Popey says he's caught me in a, in a hypocrisy loop. What have I done wrong, Popey? Set me straight here. Um, so the argument is we should not patch out um, and make it easy for people to use content as in MB or whatever piece of software that somebody else has developed and is trying to make some money out of. And that's a bad thing. But the chances are what people are using in before is downloaded TV programs that they probably didn't have the rights to, oh, I see. to watch. <laughs> so right, yeah. how is that, how is that rationalized in your mind? Well, in, in my view, because the product itself, MB was still fully functional, right? It was just that nag screen, um, which does sound super annoying, but it wasn't as if it couldn't say like playback MKVs without the premiere feature, um, it just would say, "Hey, did you know we have a premiere feature?" And then you click play. It's so it, it when it's no, it was it wasn't that part. It was more the part that, hey, you guys out there, you should pay for this thing that someone has worked hard for, uh, in order to watch this thing that you've stolen in inverted commas that somebody else has worked hard for, TV programs and films, right? Yeah, no, I follow what your question was. I just um, I was just trying to say like <clears throat> if MB had. If MB had disabled the product and made it like – so in my case, take Star Trek Discovery. I download Star Trek Discovery every single Sunday as fast as I possibly can and I watch it via MB or Plex depending on the setup. But I also am a CBS All Access subscriber. Um, same with uh, House of Cards. I'm a Netflix subscriber. I don't ever watch it on Netflix because it's ass. I just prefer to watch it on my TV. Um, and I have a MiFi. So I, I, you're right. It is up to the individual what the morality is. Uh, and it's you're right. It's also not surprising that people that are comfortable stealing a lot of content would be comfortable stealing the product to watch the content. That does right. that does make sense. I I feel like the the it's self-harm, though. When uh, when you down if you download uh, Game of Thrones, you're not putting Game of Thrones out of business. But if you fundamentally undermine the way for Emby to monetize Emby. They will go out of business and they will – they'll be gone. And then you'll have no way to watch your stolen TV shows. So it's sort of like pissing in your own well. Right. But I, yeah, you do bring up a good point. Um, and I, you know, I wonder what the audience would say about that too. Let us know. Tweet me at Chris LES or leave a comment on the YouTubes so we can all read it or linuxunplugged.reddit.com. Now, we've got to go because the Ask Noah program is just around the corner. Mr. Noah, what's coming up on, on, the, on the Ask Noah over there? 
Dude, we got so many cool things we're going to be talking about. We're talking about high-resolution audio. Ooh. I know there's, there's somebody out there, and they're going to be like, that's fake oil. And then there's the other half of your audience that's like, no, 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 that, you finally caught on. Yeah. And so you're going to find yeah. out which one it is. High-resolution audio under Linux. Is it possible or is it snake oil? Uh, hmm. Interesting. Now, uh, rumor has it that there may be a topic expert coming on the show to discuss it with you as well. Which, there is, you know, anytime, anytime we, anytime we dive, dive into a topic, we go find the person in the industry that knows more yeah. than anyone else. And in that case, when it comes to hi-fi audio, as I was telling you last night, there is nobody else yeah. other than Bob Carver. I mean, he's just the guy when it comes to hi-fi audio. That's that's sort of a pretty good get. Um, you uh, you did nobody networks like Noah. Nobody does. <laughs> I gotta say it. It really comes. It plays to your advantage sometimes. Well done, sir. It's uh, good I job. Have, I have friends in high places. Yeah, you, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And so now we're doing uh, the Ask Noah program and the. Um, plug program back to back so you come over to jblive.tv on a tuesday you can hang out with our virtual lug and all these wonderful gentlemen and we'd love to have some wonderful ladies in there and then you stick around and watch some content and hear the extra live stuff that doesn't make it in the published version and then you keep watching and get asked no it's like a whole week or i mean like a whole afternoon evening depending on morning your time zone block of linux live with your participation because we got the mumble room on the unplugged program and then we got your live calls on ask noah and from time to time rumor has it there'll even be some mumble participation in ask noah which is probably difficult every time you have a guest so every time i say that you got a guest but yeah well, actually so bob doesn't uh, bob is not uh, computer technically savvy so he'll be joining us over phone so we sure. will, we, we can have mumble today yeah sure. but uh, yeah it's, we call it the Linux limic sandwich <laughs> Is that what we call it? Oh, good to know. <laughs> good, good. Uh, go get uh, go get yourself a Patreon account and uh, go over to uh, patreon.com slash Ubuntu underscore Mate to support some of the fine work that Mr. Wimpress is doing with the Ubuntu Mate project. And a lot of times the uh, that stuff funds uh, stuff that just goes upstream to Mate as well. So Ubuntu underscore Mate at patreon.com. Of course, we're Jupiter Signal. And they're off, they're off right now. They may never return, they say. But if you'd like to catch the backlog, Go go check out the Ubuntu podcast. There's some great episodes posted over there. They're on season break right now. Is curry curry and beer been scheduled, gentlemen? Is that uh... no? Yet we've had a pre curry, but we haven't had curry. I understand. I understand. Uh, okay, <laughs> the pre curry. Huh? You got <laughs> Do you have Could a post curry too? Is there going to be a post curry? <laughs> You need to, you know, flex flex your stomach muscles yes. before you go for the proper right. curry. So that way, when you're ready to have a real serious discussion, you're warmed up. You've trained up. Yep. It's like a marathon. I understand. All right, guys. Well, thanks for being here. And thank you, audience, for being here. And hopefully Mr. West will be back to health next week. In the meantime, go get him at West Payne on the Twitter and get more of him at the TechSnap program, techsnap.systems. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm at Chris LES. The network is at Jupiter Signal. Our subreddit is linuxunplugged.reddit.com. And you can email the show, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Thank you, Robert, for emailing us this week. And everybody else, I had more emails queued up, but they were for Wes. <laughs> so maybe we'll get those when he comes back next week. And again, those live times, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you right back here next week on the Unplugged program. See you next Tuesday! I've never installed Windows slash Linux. Get it out of here. Let's see if we can title this thing before uh, Noah takes over the airwaves. 
uabtitles.com. You can still submit. You can also submit in the Discord, discord.me slash jupitercolony. I'll be searching that. Let's go pick a title, and then we'll get out of here, and uh, Noah will take us away to Ask Noah Land. Bang suggest. <clears throat> Thank you, gentlemen. I am so hooked, JJ, on Indian food. It's I'm actually taking a break right now, so that way when Noah comes in here, I'm not burned out, because otherwise... Bad a boy. Yeah, I'm that's doing that for boy. you, Brown good Bear. Boy. Oh, that's good. That's good. Ah, that makes me happy. Yep, and I've already I've already warned Angela that uh, the there will be a business expense of, uh, <laughs> of butter chicken and stuff. On <laughs> no, yeah, I refuses South to come Indian, unless you buy him way, Indian so food. That's the reason why I'm sort of trying to explain a little bit. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I would imagine it's delicious, but uh, man, I don't know. There's something about... You, like, just something about that butter chicken. Now, you're going to have to tell me, Noah, what you oh, think, yeah. but there's something about it that's just, mm, it's healing. I had it uh, on Friday. Me and Wimpy met up with uh, one of our guys from the community and uh, spent the day co-working in a library in um, near where Wimpy lives. And then we went out for curry in the evening, and it was so good. Man, it was I, so good. I wish... Funny story... Go ahead. I have a funny story relating to Indian food, but you can finish first. I was just going to say, Poby, sometime when you're out here, we'd, it would take a long time because it's... It's like an hour. Well, not. It's like fifty minutes. Well, an hour, depending on traffic. Dude, I'm going to be in Seattle in like a week. I know, I know. But do you <laughs> think? Do you think you could break away for like three hours or so? Because you, we'd have to come all the way up north to go to this place. Then there's the time to eat, and then the time to get back. That's the problem. Oh. But it is. It is. I've traveled around some places, and I've never had Indian food better than, at least here in the States that I've traveled to, than, than this place. It's just so good. Oh, I, mean, so I just bought you know. six of them. I, bought, I went in and bought six butter chickens at once last week and ate it for four days or something like that. It's not so good. Hmm. The best, the best um, curry I've ever had is in Japan. Oh, yeah? Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, they make some awesome Indian curry in Japan. I imagine there's something that surpasses it. I mean, there must be. What about be, Indian but... curry in Japan? Yeah, the best, he said. The best curry in yeah, Japan. Yeah, the best curry ever yeah. <laughs> is in Japan. I, I don't know if I agree with the best curry ever, but they do have some really, really motivated Indian people in Japan that make some good food. <laughs> I'm not mean? kidding. I mean, they make some... What does that mean? They, they, motivated people... Indian people. <laughs> here's, the thing. Here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You have to understand something about cuisine, right? So think about this. In the U.S., it's easy to make... Even the worst Indian food passes as amazing here because Americans are more Boy, or does it seem to. Bland. bland. Yeah, they're just bland. I mean, because they every American, American food... Food is just bland. But when you go to Japan and you have, they're, ah, they're competing on a different culinary level. Now you have to have a really motivated Indian person if you're going to make it there. Yeah.